This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. And you know, God's design for all things is perfect. It's wonderful. It can't be improved on. One of the signs of man's rebellion is that he keeps trying to upgrade what God said should happen. Tonight we're going to be looking at the matter of marriage. God's design. In fact, I've entitled the message tonight, Marriage by Divine Design. When God created, he looked at it and he said, it's good. But there was one area in the creation where he designed it with a flaw on purpose. He created man, took a look and said, it's not good that man be alone. I will make a help meet for him. And that's what we're going to consider tonight. Unfortunately, we live in a world that has looked at God's divine design for marriage and has said, no, that's no good. I want to remind us what the scripture shows us about his design and why it is so important. We want to begin in Genesis chapter 2 this evening. You know from the early chapters of Genesis that God gives us an overview of what he created and then he goes back through the creation and he gives us more specifics about what he did. And as we go to Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1, we see God's general design. Genesis 1, look at verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. And notice, male and female created he them. It's amazing that that simple truth has fostered or fomented, I should say, so much hostility today. You may not be aware of this. Uh, Brother Richard Phoebus is. Uh, he uh, was formerly one of our Chesapeake police officers. One day on the old church sign, we dared to put this verse on the marquee. I get a text from Richard with a picture of our church sign. He said, Pastor, do you know what he had gotten on shift, had driven by the church, looked at the sign. Somebody had rewritten and, and had taken time to do cardboard cutouts to change words and had taped them to our sign to rewrite that verse because they didn't like the fact that male and female created he them. Now, I didn't broadcast that. I've still got the picture if you want to see it. But that is God's general design. Now, let's look at his specific design. This is day six of creation. Notice the clarity of gender and how God chose to make one gender from the other. In other words, within the design is the design. Do you see that? Watch what he says, Genesis 2, 21 to 24. 
And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made, literally he built, a woman. And brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now that's God's specific design, divine design. Now God's ongoing design is now in this passage for man, or in this passage was for the woman to be taken out of the, out of the man. And now, isn't it amazing? Every birth is a miracle. It really is. And now God's design is for the man to be taken out of the woman. Okay? I've witnessed it 11 times. <laughs> but listen to the remainder of Adam's appraisal. Verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Have you ever read that passage and thought, all right, Adam just woke up, and he sees something he's never seen before. And he rejoices, he celebrates what God has done, and then he gives a short commentary on how marriage and family work. How did he know that? Well, we're not told in Genesis when Adam learned this cause from God, for this cause. Where did he learn it? He had to learn it from God. This knowledge is not intuitive. Even before the fall, there's no way that the man could have known God's design if God hadn't shared that with him. But Genesis doesn't tell us that. Nothing else in nature mirrored it. The animals don't practice what we do as humans as far as marriage and family. The divine design of marriage had to be taught to Adam just as it must be taught today. And that's why every couple, married couple, needs to know the word of God and see God's divine design. There's a reason that God said to the man, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Why? It's not intuitive. You're going to have to learn her, and you're going to have to learn what the Bible says about how to treat her, and ladies, vice versa. But you know, we are told in Matthew how Adam knew the function of marriage. If you want to turn over to Matthew 19, you can look at verses 4 and 5, or it'll be on the screen for you. But in Matthew 19, 4 and 5, listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Oh, this is sounding familiar, isn't it? And said. What this is saying is, and he also said. God said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain, or two, the two shall be one flesh. It doesn't say that Adam said it. God said it. Okay, so there's your answer. God had taught Adam this, and I believe he taught him it before he put him to sleep. 
And then when he woke up, he saw God's miracle. So this is the divine design. This is the general design, Genesis 1, and then the specific design, Genesis chapter 2. But what is the purpose of the design? Well, we want to go back to these passages. The earthly purpose, back in Genesis, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that creepeth upon the earth. Again, back in Genesis chapter 1. So the general purpose was God created marriage so that there would be offspring to fill the earth. Do you know what the first command in the Bible was? Be fruitful and multiply. <gasps> overpopulation, no, no. Do you realize how much vastness is still on this earth that hasn't been occupied by humans? Don't fall for that lie. God made this earth so that in the time he created, it would sustain human life until his plan is done. He's the one that said, be fruitful and multiply, fill up the earth. That was the earthly purpose. God placed man on earth to be his caretaker through, listen, dominion and use, including, folks, the fact that it's okay to pump the oil out of the earth and use that too. Oh, I'm going to keep going, but I'm tempted to pause here. Do you know that an earth that is not cared for has trouble? Forest fires, for example. Animal populations that get sick, for example. God made man to occupy and to be a steward of this earth. Well, how do you know that? He said it. Can you explain it? He said it. And our God, whose mind is so far greater than anything we could ever imagine, we just need to trust him and do what he told us to do. Earthly purpose. But there's a spiritual purpose. The spiritual purpose really has two parts. With the first part perpetuating the second part. What do I mean? Well, the first part is found throughout Israel's history, but it's, it's, it's explained in places like Psalm 78. We were just there, but let's go back there, all right? Let's go back there. Psalm 78. We were here just a week ago. Look at verse 5. For he, God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children. That, here's the purpose, it's a purpose statement next, that the generations to come might know them, what God did, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them, what God did to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So the spiritual 
purpose is simply this. And by the way, prophets would declare uh, these truths as well as stern warnings to God's people, Israel, when they lost sight of this. That God intended for parents, married men and women, to have children so that they could declare to those children the magnificence of God. And so that understanding how great their God was, they would worship him and set their hope in him and keep his commandments. That's the spiritual purpose. And when Israel lost sight of this purpose, God dealt with them. God even sent them into captivity. And after 70 years of captivity, when they come back to the land, prophets are still reminding them of these things, the, the spiritual purpose. Let me just quote for you Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15. And did not he, God, make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God could have led in other ways. But this was his design. What was his design? Wherefore one, okay, God decided one man and one woman would be one, that he might seek a godly seed. So what Malachi is doing is he's pointing all the way back to Genesis and saying this was the divine design. God knew what he was doing. In his spirit, he could have designed it another way. But this was his design. And why did he do it? Again, going back to Psalm 78, going back to other things. You know, the testimonials. Remember when the children of Israel, God parted the Jordan, they crossed into the promised land? God said, now wait a minute, I want you to erect a memorial. Every tribe take a stone, put it in there. So when the generations to come say, what is that? You can tell them how great God is. These memorial stones. And that was to constantly be what the children of Israel did in reminding the generations about God, to raise a godly seed. Now remember that this is written to post-exile Israel, the words of Malachi. They are back in the land for the ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants. So the spiritual purpose initially to raise godly seeds so that the generations would know God. But again, inside of that purpose is this ultimate purpose to fulfill what God had promised. Abraham, through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. David, I'm going to give you a house. You want to build for me a house, I'm not going to let you build me a house. But I'm going to build you a house, and one of your descendants is going to occupy your throne forever. Now, where did all that point? Jesus Christ. So after Malachi's words, in just over 400 years, the Messiah would be born. This could not happen without a godly remnant, and the godly remnant, listen carefully, could not happen without the nuclear family without marriage. Now we talked about it this morning. What did God use to bring about his plan? A married couple who fear God leave Nazareth, travel to Bethlehem. 
There's no room in the inn. And so that poor wife and expectant mother has to have that baby in a shepherd's cave. Wow. And all through Israel's history, what was the threat to what we're talking about? Unfaithfulness, divorce. That destroys the divine design of marriage. It does damage to God's ultimate purpose of raising children who are worshipers of God and defenders of truth. And so Malachi goes on, Malachi 2.15, Wherefore take heed to your spirit and let none of you deal treacherously. Stop being unfaithful. That's what the Hebrew here is. Stop dealing treacherously against the wife of your youth. That's what Malachi said. And so the spiritual purpose of God's divine design for marriage. The spiritual purpose of marriage was ultimately to bring Messiah to earth. And God's useful, or, and God used faithful marriages and the offspring of those marriages to complete redemption's plan. And I could take time to even talk about, we'll do this next week, uh, there was another godly couple that, that the Lord used, a married couple, and you'll remember the name, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And who was their son? The forerunner, John the Baptist, okay. Now God is using the spiritual purpose of marriage to illustrate to the world a spiritual picture. We've seen the spiritual purpose, but now here's the spiritual picture. If you'll take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5 now, I want to look at some verses here. It's so important that as God's people, we compare spiritual things with spiritual. In other words, scripture texts with scripture texts. There's another time that the Holy Spirit is going to take us all the way back to Genesis 24 and quote it in the New Testament. Where does he do that? Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. The Lord has a specific purpose for having Paul quote from Genesis chapter 2. What is it? We'll look at Ephesians 5.32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Oh, there's the picture. So what the Lord intended when he gave us Genesis chapter 2, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, ultimately that would picture Christ and the church. So how do husbands and wives best demonstrate Christ and his church? Well, there in Ephesians 5, look now, please, at verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Do you know that our relationship with Jesus Christ is one of, no, don't misunderstand me, but it is one of equal submission. What, what, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Does Jesus not every day submit himself to our needs, yes or no? You're hesitant to answer that question. He does. Has he committed himself to us? 
My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by who? Christ Jesus. Do you know every day your Savior serves your needs? And we're to submit ourselves to his needs. Fellowship, worship, praise. And that's the picture of, of the husband and the wife. And so we read on here, wives, verse 22, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Again, there's that, that submission to the Lord and to the husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as Christ is subject, I'm sorry, as ch the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And husbands, again, this goes back to verse 21, the submission, submit yourself to her needs. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What a passage of scripture. So just as Christ served our needs, especially our need of a savior, he gave his life, he gave all. So we are to serve each other's needs in light of eternity. So husbands, every day, how much of Jesus do you get? 100%. 100%. All right. You're to give that to your wife. It's not based on what percentage she gives back to you. Every day, how much of you does Jesus get? Said, so rather not talk about it. But as our Savior, He continues to save us. I'm not talking about salvation from sin, though He continues us to continues to deliver us from sin as we yield to His Spirit. The point is, every day we get all of Him, even though every day He doesn't get all of us. So we're to submit. Jim Berg said this to married couples, the most important day of your lives wasn't the day you were married. It is the day you present each other to Jesus. The picture. That's the ultimate purpose of God's divine design for marriage. It's the picture. Now I would challenge married couples here, and that includes me, Renee. One of the reasons I believe that marriage is under attack and, and the fact that even sometimes Christian young people who are now Christian adults don't think that it's so useful is because they watch the way it functioned in their own homes. The best thing that you can do to reinforce the importance of marriage to your young people is to flesh it out before them. Husbands, you be like Jesus to your wife, their mother. And moms, you be like the church is supposed to be to Jesus, submitting in everything. Wives, you say, well, I don't always understand him. Do we always understand what Jesus is doing? But does that change anything? 
Now, obedience to Christ is obedience to Christ. Whether we feel it, see it, however we perceive it. What a wonderful design. Would you agree with me? It's a wonderful design. And I want us to see by everything that we've looked at tonight that this is God's perfect design. You're not going to improve on the design. You're not. In fact, we can look back over the history of civilization and we can see that civilizations have crumbled or been built based on the strength of the nuclear family starting with solid marriages. Now, because this is God's design, it's a perfect design. It's a design that can't be improved on. Because that is the case, we should not be surprised that Satan is doing all he can to assault the design. He hates the designer. And he wants to destroy the design. So let's just review where we've been tonight. First of all, the general design, male and female. The earthly or general purpose of the design, be fruitful and multiply so that you can have dominion over the earth. So what is Satan's assault? Global warming. Man is destroying the planet. The science isn't telling us that. Well, but pastor, the weather's changing. Do you know how long we've been keeping formal weather records? Less than 200 years. And after 6,000 years of human history, we've figured out that we're changing the weather? I'm not being trying to be silly or critical, but that's silly. We do know from history there have been cold ages and then things have warmed up and it, it's continued to change. And do you know what? From the very beginning, people have been using fire, which produces smoke, to heat and cook and do all those things that's been happening on this planet for over 6,000 years. Here we still are. So global warming. Man is destroying the, plan, the planet. How about gender confusion? Reject the gender God made you with those accompanying roles. You don't want that. Well, if you reject that, how are you fruitful and replenish the earth? That is still the command that we are under. How do you do that if you're uncertain whether you really want to be the gender you are? Now, I'm not trying to be unkind, but I will say this. That is nothing but spiritual blindness and a direct assault on God's divine design. It's what it is. Let's move on. How about the specific design? Man leaving father and mother, being joined to uh, his wife, and the two being one flesh. What about the spiritual purpose in the picture? Raise up a godly seed to worship God, promote the gospel, and to be a picture of Christ and the church. What about that? Well, that is being directly assaulted by Satan. Be fruitful and multiply. 
No, let's abort and let's begin now discussing infanticide. Direct assault. And to talk about the blindness in this world, the spiritual blindness. This week, I looked at an article and, and I think my jaw is still sore because it hit the ground and bounced a couple times. Somebody was complaining because world population is dropping. Yeah! Because we're listening to the enemy. Be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because God wants us to raise up a godly seed. And so there's a direct assault on parental rights. We can teach your kids whatever we want. You have no say in it. Excuse me? I don't see formal education anywhere in God's divine design. But I do see the nuclear family, mom and dad, married and teaching their kids, raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's what I see. And the closest thing you can get then to that formal education is not only what parents are doing, but what churches are doing to assist parents in helping Christian educate their kids. That's what I see. Now, is there formal education? There was. If you understand Jewish history, Jesus had formal education because in places like Nazareth, every young boy would sit for a few years at the feet of a rabbi who would teach him, teach him to read, teach him the law, but at the same time, they were being apprenticed by their father, which was the case with Jesus, who learned to be a carpenter. Now, I'm not against formal education, but when formal education uh, begins to teach things contrary to the word of God and tries to shut parents out, that's wrong. That is contrary to God's design. And then, of course, there's the obvious attack on biblical marriage. Even though it's traditional, historical, there is a direct assault. Now remember, this was God's design and he affirmed it by quoting Genesis 2.24. He quoted it in Matthew 19. Remember the Pharisees? We talked about that text. They come to the Lord and they want to they debate with him, catch him in the whole matter of divorce. So what does Jesus do? He quotes Genesis 2.24. Remember Paul's instruction to the Ephesians about marriage, and again he goes back and he quotes Genesis 2.24. But what happens when people don't want to retain God and his design in their knowledge? Would you go with me to Romans 1 now? We're going to see this. Everything that we've talked about is implied in Romans 1 and verse 21. We'll say, how, how do you know that, Pastor? Because you'll see later on that when they don't want to retain God in their knowledge, they discard the divine design of marriage. We'll see that shortly. But look at Romans 1.21. Because that, when they knew God, that's not just knowing God, it's knowing what God expects, his design. 
Remember, we're made in his image, right? When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. It used to be if a man found a wife, he was thankful. I mean, that was, that was kind of the goal. I was thankful today I found a woman who'd be willing to marry me. I, you know, it's just, wow. Now, I had to chase her half my life, but, but uh, she got right with God, said yes, and, and we've been married, we're coming up on 35 years. All right. That, that used to, this is exciting. I love God's design. Now, we don't need that. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Empty, foolish reasoning. Imagine how God feels when earthlings look to heaven and say, you know that whole marriage thing? Nah. We got a better plan. That's what's happening. Vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was what? Darkened. <laughs> Verse 22 is God's commentary. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You do realize if you change everybody's genders, nobody's having babies anymore. Again, I'm not trying to be unkind, but that sounds pretty foolish to me. And, and apparently God agrees. All right. Now, when they don't want to retain God in their knowledge, notice what happens, Romans 1.26, for this cause God gave them up to vile affections. When you embrace darkness, you turn from his light, God's going to give you more darkness. Vile affections, ungoverned vile passions. For even their women did change the natural use. Do you know what that simply is? God's divine design. Change the natural use into that which is against nature. It's not natural. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use. There it again, God's divine design to be with the woman. They burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is uh, unseemly. It's obscene, it's shameless. And notice again what God says, receiving or accomplishing in themselves that recompense, the penalty of their error, which was meet. In other words, they get their just due. God says, if you want to go there, I'm going to give you what you wanted. You're going to, you're going to deserve it. Now, what is so sad and what the tragedy is, God's divine design is so wonderful. It's so good. You, you can't improve on it. What does the Lord tell us? Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor from the Lord. What a blessing. Now let's close tonight. I know our time is slipping away. Satan is subtle. He's a liar. He's the father of it. 
but we're not ignorant of his devices. And just recently, the rejection of God's design is about to be codified into the law of the United States. It is amazing to me that they even get away with this, but we have now this so-called Respect of Marriage Act. It's a sick and it's a dishonest title. It's being touted as a compromise that protects so-called gay marriage and the marriages of interracial couples though the reality is these things are already protected by law in this land. There are provisions in it that exempt religious nonprofits of all kinds from its negative impact, but I predict that this will not last any more than DOMA did, the so-called Defense of Marriage Act. To give you an idea of what is happening with us in the land. Right now, the Church of Latter-day Saints and their favorite son, Mitt Romney, are for the bill. They've endorsed it. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops opposes it, and I commend them for that. Our brethren in the Southern Baptist Convention, they oppose it. I commend them for that. But you need to realize that the immediate losers, if this bill is passed, are Christian cake decorators, photographers, or anyone else who for conscience sake dares to refuse services to those who are in, quote, same-sex unions, end quote. The wording in the bill makes it clear that it will be open season legally on anyone who owns their own businesses and refuses to comply. Let me just share with you a little bit right out of the bill. Enforcement by the Attorney General, Section A, quote, the Attorney General may bring a civil action in the appropriate United States District Court against any person who violates subsection uh, from uh, declaratory and injunctive relief. There's this section C as well, private right of action. Here's what it says, quote, any person who is harmed by a violation of subsection A may bring a civil action in the appropriate United States District Court against the person who violated such subsection for declaratory and injunctive relief. Up to this point, when somebody comes in and they say, you have to do this for us because we are of this particular persuasion, if I'm a business owner, I can say, well, I, I can't do that for conscience sake. Now, it would work its way through the Supreme Court, and up to this point, they were winning. If this passes, they can't win. Now, what does this all mean for the church? Well, first of all, we must continue to define marriage according to God's perfect design. Don't change your thinking on that. Let God be true, and every man who has another idea, let him be a liar. Okay? God's design. I would appeal to you young people. There are lots of voices saying that there are other ways. There are other plans. Don't listen to any of that. 
the God who made you, the way he made you, he knows what he has in store for you, and his way is perfect. So be willing to just follow in his footsteps and let him give you the desire of your heart. But God's way is best. Then I think it's important that as Christians we only use language that affirms the truth. You will never hear your pastor call one of those same-sex unions marriage. I'm not going to do it. It's not marriage. Folks, the truth matters. <laughs> it just it, The truth matters. Even many unbelievers now are seeing what's happening and are standing with traditional marriage for the stability that it offers to marriage partners and the nurturing it provides to children raised in traditional nuclear families. In these other communities, read the statistics about the suicide rates. They're not convinced this is right. They're miserable. They're confused. And we're going to see them continue uh, to even take their own lives. Now, ultimately, we may have to push for no state recognition of marriage rather than endorse so-called same-sex marriage. What am I talking about? Well, uh, let me just quote for you Dr. Kevin Shaw. Uh, who is the president of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship. We're a part of that fellowship as a church. But I appreciate what he said recently uh, in uh, something that he wrote. He said this, quote, church leaders around the world have already addressed this. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Keep in mind that what's happening here in the United States is not new to this world. He goes on, in many countries, churches in no way act as state representatives in solemnizing marriages. Churches in these countries do not just require a marriage license, but instead demand couples to get married before a justice of the peace or its local equivalent before having a religious ceremony. They just, they just let the state do what they're going to do or not do. He goes on, this might be our future step as Bible-believing Christians in the U.S. Let me ask you a question. Do we need the state's approval for two people seeking the will of God, finding the will of God, and a man and a woman marrying each other? Do we need the state's approval for that? We have never needed the state's approval for that. Let me share an illustration with you. <laughs> I'll never forget this. I was a young pastor in my first ministry. This literally happened. We had a couple that started attending our church. They gave salvation testimonies, but they, they were just attending. And in fact, her brother was attending as well. And these folks were, they were Oriental. They were Hmong. They were Chinese Hmong. Okay. Now, I'll never forget, she called and said, can I come in and see you? I said, sure. Now, I need to mention that she was great with child. She was great with child. She came in and she said, Pastor, we'd like you to marry us. I'm like, okay. Said, well, let me, let me ask you some questions. Is he your husband? Oh, yes. Said, well, why do you want me to marry? You're already married. She said, well, we came here from China, 
In China, they don't like the Hmong and they would not recognize our marriage. Would you marry us? And so I had the privilege of taking the word of God and I said to her this. I said, okay, did you have a wedding? Yes, tell me what happened at the wedding. I said, did you share vows with each other? She said, oh, yes. Were there witnesses? Oh, his family, our family, our friends? Okay, I said, so do you realize, according to Scripture, your wedding is based on your covenant? Again, back in Malachi, Malachi said under inspiration that your wife is the result of your covenant, your wedding vows. He said, did you share vows? Oh, yes, we did. I said, okay, here's what you need to understand. You're married. You're married. Why do you want me to do your marriage? Because we want to have a legal document from the United States saying we're married. Okay, I can do that. And so we had a small wedding. They got married. We all went out and had a nice meal. Uh, but I had the privilege of saying to her, you know what, you're married in God's eyes regardless of what the Chinese government thinks. Now, they are under the authority of God too, but if they reject his authority, you're under God's authority regardless. And I think that's where we may be heading in this country. Especially since the protections of DOMA have already been discarded, it will only be a matter of time before the, or the exemptions, I'm sorry, and the Respect of Marriage Act will be tossed aside as well. Don't think for a moment that this is going to be something that they think they fixed and they're going to leave alone. It's not going to happen, folks. Remember, they will never be satisfied with the acceptance of their definition of marriage. They will want us to approve of what they're doing. That's the goal. And by the grace of God, we will never approve. Let's conclude. Divorce rates and now the redefining of marriage have devastated our society like nothing else in 70 years. Are you taken back maybe just a little bit about the, the pace of the change in this country? I am. And I, I hear folks that are a few years older than me saying, I've never seen anything like this. I believe we're only beginning to see the results. And again, I'm not trying to be negative. So as Christians, we need to stand ready to respond with God's love and truth to lives that are being experimented on with social engineering and in many cases surgically altered by those who do not want to retain God in their knowledge. Or, I think in a lot of cases, they've found a new way to make a buck. And the love of money is the root of all evil. And so we're going to need to be ready to come alongside. When you hear something, you see something, don't withdraw into the shadows. Come alongside, show Christ's compassion, and introduce them to Jesus Christ. I can guarantee you they're empty, they're hurting if they're following any of this. They can be loud, they can smile, they can be boisterous, but they 
are empty. And so by God's grace, let's support God's divine design for marriage. Let's be a testimony as we show to the world the picture of Christ in the church. And then let's help those who really are engaging in these things. Yes, they've rejected the Lord, but they're in spiritual darkness trying to find something that will satisfy their hearts. And the only one who can do that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the truths that we've looked at tonight. These are hard things to talk about. I'm talking about what is happening around us because we rejected your design. We rejoice in your design. You are all-knowing and all-wise. But Lord, when we turn our back on you, then the only thing we've got is vain reasoning. And it's empty, it's foolish, and it's deadly. So help us to be like Christ. Lord, to respond to a world that's hurting and seeking. And would you use us to draw them to yourself. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to conclude by celebrating the Lord's table together. And so I'm going to have Pastor Ned come. He'll lead us in a hymn as our deacons get ready. But I would remind us as we prepare for the table tonight of this truth. Marriage pictures Christ in the church and that is an eternal reality. We will be married forever. I won't be married to Renee. I'll love her perfectly for eternity. But I'll be married to Christ. We'll all be there together. And we will feast at his table there. But the only way it's possible is the Lord has given us a table to remember him by here. And so from grateful hearts, let's prepare to worship the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.